This is Colossus, and you are listening to The High Regard Show. The High Regard Show. It's... Okay, so, like, what are we doing now? Check out The High Regard Show. New episodes every Monday. Hey everybody, I'm Tom. And I'm Nikki. And this is the High Regard Show. In which we talk about things we hold in high regard. Very high. High above Harlem. Way up on the third floor. Moving on up. Oh, it don't get better than that. No, sir, it doesn't. Thank you so much for joining us again, everybody. It's always a pleasure to have you back. It's always a pleasure to be back as well. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, you know what? I just want to start off really quickly this week's show by saying thank you to everybody that came out last week to the Metropolitan Room. It was quite an awesome experience. It there. was such a good time. Like it was such a such a such a good time. Completely new material this time around. Um I don't even think we got to mention it last week. Complete failure on Thursday night open <laughs> mic with the first act. Uh Open mics are brutal, brutal shows, and it was in preparation to get ready for the Saturday night show over at the Metropolitan Room, and uh, I was like, I am so fucked, man, going into the Metropolitan Room with this act. So, 48 hours. He had 48 hours to prepare this act, and it was so good. It was so funny, and it was so well-received, and it totally changed the energy of the room, which is just an awesome thing to be able to, you know, say that you did. It was very, very cool. I feel bad for you because how many times did you have to listen to it within, you know, the, you know, what, the 48 hours? You probably heard that thing like 48 million times. Well, I was like the stage mom in the background, just like mouthing your act along with you so that like if you missed a step, which you didn't, I would have been able to just like go right in seamlessly and nobody would have even known. Which is surprising (laughs) because I swear my short term memory is for shit, man. Like I seriously can't remember anything at all. And then, for whatever reason, I panic out about it, I get on stage, and everything just flows. Well, there you go. That's the magic of comedy, Tom. The magic of comedy. Well, here's the thing. Um, There's a possibility of another show coming up this week on Tuesday. I'm still waiting to hear the details of it. We've been doing this normal routine, like, Thursday night at the Climate Lounge down in the East Village um, with a bunch of other people, which is, you know, very, very cool. And it's so weird, like, being there with, like, the classmates that I started with doing comedy and just watching everybody just polish up like from like, you know, we're talking like two months ago to now. Right, and yeah. like we're all just heading down the stage and we're all talking about how nervous we are in the beginning. And then we get up there and, you know, it's just What's it's it? unbelievable like what a difference two months can make. Like sands to the hourglass, so are the days of our lives, Tom. Yeah. So I think what we're going to do is we're going to add an events tab on our website. Yes. And be sure to ch- so be sure to check out our website highregardshow.com. and then we're also going to you know promote them on um, our social media outlets, which is also High Regard Show. So you know just be on the lookout for upcoming shows. We'd love to you know meet some of you who might be local listeners. So you know check it out. Yeah, man. And for those of you who did come to the last shows, again, thank you so much. It does mean a lot to me because I go up there like super nervous because I'm like nobody ever wants to hear my shit. But he, but he goes are. up there. He goes up there nonetheless. <laughs> and believe me, man, I couldn't do it. Like I, I am a nervous wreck for you because I know that like I would never be able to get up there. So it takes some, it takes some balls to get up there, my friend. <laughs> well, I'm glad. Just that I feel like I leave some balls there a little bit each time. Eventually, they're just gonna wither away and be done. But whatever. <laughs> until that time. Until until then, come check us out. <laughs> So, with that said, all the thank yous are in order. Let us now go into this week's You Heard. (laughs) 
This week's You Heard comes to us from the lobby of your work down in Soho. And it is, if you look long enough, you will find a way. If you want it bad enough. That was somebody saying that to like somebody that they were walking out of your office with, like two coworkers, I presume. And they just said that. And it was like, it kind of goes in with this week's show. Because it's like, if you look long enough, you will find a way. If you want it bad enough. It's funny how optimistic everybody was when we were downtown <laughs> a few weeks ago as opposed to Midtown, which just basically, like, bleeds the soul out of you with oh all God. the tourists. And, yeah, I mean, Midtown sucks. <laughs> yes, and for those who don't know, our offices went from Soho to Midtown in, like, two weeks ago. In the heart ago. of Times Square. And my God, man, what a huge difference in location. <laughs> like, it has taken a lot to get acclimating. But the good news is I feel like... There's a lot of material in Midtown. Yes, there's lots and lots and lots of things to talk about. So that was this week's You Heard. All right, so this week's show. Here we are. Man, we got really lucky this week. We did. We did. Because a couple weeks ago, um, in episode 24, called Conspiracies, surprisingly, we talked about, well, conspiracies. We talked about things like, um, you know, the, the conspiracy surrounding 9-11, government cover-ups, and we, we talked about this documentary called Sirius, which is S-I-R-I-U-S, which kind of covers all these, you know, things that... Um, people talked about yeah and like you know the stuff you just said yeah and specifically ufos it talked a lot right. about well, UFOs. yeah because it's about like these people that are like you like the main guy in this documentary that we spoke about in episode 24 was he's a ufologist you, oh is that a you, which, thing which is like a real word and i was like oh my god i think i saw a ufologist who <laughs> put a camera at my butthole <laughs> and that's great thank you so much for sharing that we're well, really you know. happy to have, we're really glad that you shared that with us Tom Whatever. thank you <laughs> anyway but one of the things that this ufologist talked about was this phenomena quote unquote called the phoenix lights which were these lights that were seen in March 1997 over various spots of um, Arizona, particularly like Phoenix, because hence the name Phoenix Lights. Oh. And <laughs> it was interesting because quite serendipitously, we got a press release about a movie called The Phoenix Incident that's opening this week on April, you know, on Friday, April 8th, and wanting to know if we wanted to like see a screener and talk to the director, which we did. Yeah, and it's awesome. You know, and it's, it, I got to say, when we first got it, I wasn't even thinking that the show was going to air this week. So I was like, we literally just did a UFO sh- kind of kind of ish in the conspiracy show right. like a few weeks back. And then we watched the screen last night and then we did the interview today and it was kind of like, you know, I like the way it came out, man. Yeah, because like we talked about these, you know, this these these lights and stuff because the movie is based on the real events but it's a fictionalized version of the real events so you know it it kind of and like it's done in this like new way which he's going to discuss which you know we'll let him tell us in his own words um but it was just really interesting because it was like oh my gosh like it's not so much it's it became about like filmmaking and immersion into like what people are doing now people don't just want to like they want to be involved in something you know what I mean like they want to like immerse themselves because real life as we've said before sucks so it's like you want to involve yourself in like the things that you're watching and the things that you're doing and I I think it's a really cool way that this movie was made yeah and and real life I mean it, it totally does suck and I think that you get used to your normal movie experience. And um, you and I were talking about this before the show started, when we were talking about when 
people started to go and see the movie Avatar. Mm -hmm. It wasn't so much that Avatar was a great movie. It's a story that's been told a hundred million times. Everybody has used the story of Avatar right. at some point. But the technology behind it was something special. And I feel like the whole movie experience is so dated. Even though it's an escape, it's still a very dated media. And it's nice to see people making strides to change it to what yeah. it's now becoming, which is more interactive and stuff. So would you like to introduce this week's fabulous bean footage? <laughs> fabulous bean footage? <laughs> I always feel like bushes make beans, like whenever we, uh, you know, have like an interview and stuff like that. I always think of that guy talking to that dog, like roll that bean footage. Oh my God, yes. Well, this week's fabulous bean footage, we talked to Keith Aram, who was the writer and director of The Phoenix Incident. So let's meet Keith. <laughs> So, you know, I'd love to start off. We watched the, the, the movie last night. And, you know, I just want to, you know, how did you decide to, you know, make The Phoenix Incident? So The Phoenix Incident was sort of a, a combination of things. This is my first motion picture moving from the movie. Right. And I wanted to do something that was a little bit unique. Uh, the subject matter was all based on real events. But mm -hmm. doing a documentary, there's already been so many fantastic documentary documentaries specifically about the subject that I felt that it wouldn't get the, um, the exposure, the attention, and, uh, and really inspire an audience to really start to look into the actual facts of, doing, um, of, of what happened that night. So this was sort of a, a unique docu-thriller approach, <laughs> and I wanted to do something where I could go back to my home state where I grew up and, uh, and show you know, a lot of the, the real locations. We shot it actually where the sightings took place. Wow. With almost a thousand of the eyewitnesses and had them describe their accounts and met with political leaders. We went, met with military officials and with actual uh, whistleblowers who talked to us about some of the things that, that may have happened that night. And then all the eyewitnesses that all swear that they saw these crafts overhead. And, right. Uh, and so that, I thought, for me, was uh, as a first-time director doing something that was going to be a little bit different um, possibly controversial, but something that was going to help me grow as a director and kind of learn not only the craft, but also do something that was going to sort of further this idea of, you know, pushing people to, to really research what, what happened that night. Right, absolutely. And, you know, I definitely because, like, you kind of immersed yourself in the filmmaking process while you were doing this, and it's an immersive transmedia you know, kind of event with this film. But as an Arizona native, you know, what do you personally remember about, you know, that night in 1997? Did you see these lights yourself? Well, I was actually down in Tucson where I grew up, and uh, and I had been coming back to Los Angeles where I was uh, working and, and going to school at the time. And so for me, I didn't actually physically see the lights. I'd seen okay. numerous things in the skies above because there's <laughs> so many military bases there. You have davis Moss sure. Air Force Base, and you've got Luke Air Force Base, and Fort Huachuca, and all these different places where there's always things in the sky. But occasionally, you see things that are just clearly not military. And if they are, mm -hmm. they are so sophisticated or so <laughs> different or, or they act so much differently than anything else you've seen that it really makes you pause and, and wonder. And so I really wanted to uh, not only go back there to shoot that, but uh, just to kind of explore some of the things that were there. And, and since I had so many friends and family and people mm -hmm. that we knew who had witnessed this, um, it was it was fascinating because these aren't people who are just, you know, someone out in the middle of the woods who wants to get on television and tell a story. These are like doctors and scientists and politicians sure. and police and military people who know they saw something and they all saw the same thing. And it and it I can understand if a handful of people maybe I don't know, maybe they, they misinterpret something and they see uh, a light or a military craft or an airline or something like that where right. they could potentially say, oh, well, that looked like something, and they all you know, mistakenly reported that. But when you have 30,000 people witnessing something, and we you know, met with almost 1,000 of these witnesses, and they all say the same thing, right. it, it, that, that's when it really starts to get really very interesting. 
And, and what do you personally believe, you know, happened? Like, what do you personally believe that they were? You know, I mean, I, I don't know if I could personally buy the fact that they were, quote, unquote, flares from the government. You know what right. I mean? Like, it's too, it's too crazy. You know, I come from uh, uh, an analytical background, uh, uh, an engineering background. Sure. Three years in audio engineering. And so I always like to have hard proof. I always like mm-hmm. to, to have something that I can look at the data you know, look at the facts and say, this is what, what really happened. And, you know, underneath that, I always have this belief that, like, if all all planets and all the universe is made out of the same basic building blocks, why would life only exist on this rock, you know, in space sure. or any other place? So I've always had, you know, predisposed to the idea that there's the possibility of life in other planets and other solar systems. Uh, whether they've got the technology and the sophistication to come here and then observe us and abduct us and do other things, that, you know, <laughs> that's obviously, you know, up for debate. Um, sure. But in my feeling that, like, I went into this a healthy skeptic. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I do believe that there were flares that night. I do know that the military did have an operation going on. There. There's, there's too much proof to ignore that. But when you start having military and political people telling you that they were running you know, distraction operations, and they're doing other types of operations going on there, and that these pilots are coming back shaken from encountering these. Sure. They talk about the the airport being closed down, and then you meet with a thousand witnesses that are all saying the thing. Then your mind starts to say, wait a second, as much as I need that proof, hearing these stories consistently changes your outlook and your mind about that. So I believe that... I, I don't believe that these people are lying. I don't believe that the military is lying. I just think that there is something in between that we just don't know yet. And right. I do think that they saw something. I do think there was something over the skies. Um, that, without a doubt, there, there, it's 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 too spread out and too long. And you know, flares can't fly in formation for that much amount of time. And even if there's mm-hmm. multiple flare drops, um, and even if there's five different sightings and a whole bunch of things that were all combined into this one story, people saw something. And uh, and that's really why I wanted this film to sort of, if, if nothing else, I wanted it to open up this discussion about a case that's been fairly closed. You know, the public has right. kept it open, but the military and the government says, ah, there's just flares, leave it alone. But <laughs> you can't leave a story like this alone. It's too big. And, and especially when you have uh, the largest mass sighting, not only in North America, but potentially the world, that is the potential of a mess. That is the potential that if this was real, if there was the possibility that there was a craft or multiple craft that night, why would they go over one of the most populated cities, you know, in Arizona? That just, that, that is a message in itself. So I just, I I love the the mythology of it. I love the story. I love the fiction and the, and the facts behind that. And I think as a first time film director, that was a uh, topic that you couldn't, only contain into one film, which is why we created so many other ancillary transmedia elements around the movie, so we could continue the investigation and continue the story outside of the movie. And I think the movie comes at an interesting time, because it seems almost on a weekly basis, NASA and, you know, there's some kind of big space news coming, like we've seen the furthest spot in the universe and stuff, like there's so much space things happening that like I think it's really opening people up to the fact that there could be other worlds out there there's other there, there's something else other than just us so I think like the timing of the movie whether that was intentional or not you know is a really good time for a movie like this it, it really is it's, it's in the zeitgeist right now I mean everyone is thinking about this and and I think that society is is really ready for for this idea that we may not be alone you know you hear about this mega structure in some distant you know universe that we're able to look out of this galaxy and see this structure and and we're getting these bizarre radio signals and these other types of mm-hmm. potential messages and other things and 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 then you you see you know shows like x uh, x files or mm-hmm. independence day coming up and 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 science fiction has always been part of our culture but i i think you're right like you're starting to see every day and every week now these big scientific discoveries and talks and and even Obama and Clinton have these sort of like little they allude to the idea that like hey we want to you know if we have something we want to get it out to the public and and if one day they said you know what Kepler found moving around on the surface I think we'd be ready for that (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) I think 
that would unify our whole planet to say we need to contact those guys. We need to make some giant you know, megaphone, and we want to be able to broadcast something to be able to contact those guys. Um, and so I think that's I think our society is really ready for this, and I don't think it would shatter our religious beliefs, and I don't think it would shatter our governments, and I don't think that you know all the typical things that people say. Well, if we found out that there was aliens, that it would you know unravel the fabric of humanity. It's like I don't think that's the truth. I think everyone. No. Yeah, we we need to change. We definitely do in this day and age. <laughs> and you know, you know, looking at the, the way that you made this film, this transmedia process. You know, how did you choose to do that, and what was the biggest challenge that you faced while, you know, making a movie in this style? I, I think the biggest challenge was that the story is, is just too big to contain in a 90-minute mm-hmm. film. There was too many conspiracy theories, too many things that were going on around the same time that all led to the, the actual case itself. Mm-hmm. You know, the Hale-Bob comet that was coming through, and here's this fantastic comet that, you know, rarely comes by the Earth, and it's coming to the closest it's ever been in March 1997, and as everyone's looking at this thing, they see this shadowy shape behind the comet's tail, and some people think it looks like a ship, and suddenly you have this Heaven's Gate cult, which is this doomsday cult that's been around Mm -hmm. for years, see this as a sign that this is the coming of the end of the planet, the cycling of 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 the Earth, and they go into red alert. You have the highest number of uh, suicides, the highest number of, of uh, missing persons. Arizona has the highest per capita missing persons in the in the country, and especially in 1997. And then you have this huge rise in unexplained cattle deaths. And a lot of these things based on, you know, uh, drought conditions and other things that could contribute to all these things. But they're all happening in March of 97. And then you have this amazing sighting that takes place on the Nevada border all the way across the state with thousands of people seeing it. Then you have the the government potentially covering this thing up. And then people involved in the cover-up, some of the pilots from Davis Mountain Air Force Base, two weeks later one of the pilots uh, goes AWOL, it breaks off formation and crashes his plane into the side of a mountain with all the planes in the back. And then you have his training officer also mysteriously dies. And then you have the Heaven's Gate cult all takes the mm-hmm. one the following week. So all of a sudden you have this gigantic story of all these conspiracy theories. And as a filmmaker, you put that into a movie and you're like, blah, there's just too much to sort of, <laughs> you know, give to the audience and digest. Right. As it is, even where we have the film, it's still a lot to take in. So what I realized was, was that I needed to tell those stories, but I needed to tell it in a way that the audience could investigate and find out these stories and realize that our characters and our world were, was all tied together and not just leave those out, uh, outside of the, of the world itself. So we shot an additional two hours of material in addition to the movie, uh, simultaneous while we were shooting the film. And we covered the Heaven's Gate and these other stories, and we started building websites, and we started building articles and and filling out the characters' lives and exploring more of those stories. And so that you started to realize that that there is this much bigger world of video games. That's what we do. We build out these universes that have hours and hours of experience. And, and to me, I guess, it wasn't really even a choice. It was just sort of part of the way I design stories and the way I think about ideas is that you're not just looking at what's at face value, but what's behind it. Right. And th- that was one of the things that I was going to say because, you know, I cover some of the gaming industry, um, you know, with what I do as my day job. And there's so much to offer, you know, people who are interested in that. I mean, like, there there is a whole world that you create. So, like, you could totally tell that, like, you know, you made this kind of based on some, like, your experience in the past and what's been working for the gaming industry because, like, I'm seeing that come into, you know, modern or, like, mainstream media now. Right. And that was also our audience. And I, and I knew that going in that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we had the, the UFO audience because there's so many people who have done research in the subject sure. who would be fascinated by this. And we have the thriller and the horror and the found footage audience that have seen the right. films. But I wanted to sort of change that as well. And then we had the gaming audience because, you know, this is an 18 to 40 year old audience where uh, a lot of first-person perspective uh, in right. the video games that are there, but also these just big immersive worlds where you have very interesting characters and you, and you have these worlds that you want to explore and find out why some of the things are there. 
And arguably, there's a lot of things that we don't answer in the film uh, because we're going to explore that in the transmedia element of right. on our websites or through our app that we're going to be releasing or through some of our other campaign. And so we wanted to encourage this younger audience that maybe never even heard of the Phoenix Lights or weren't even born when it happened. Right. Maybe just love the idea of aliens that have no idea what some of the real cases are. So this right. is something to then inspire that audience to say, wow, I heard about this. I, I heard it was real, but... You know, even though this is a fictional account based on the real event, it inspires them to then go off and find all this material, not just our material, but the real research that's being done right. in the field. And I, and I love that. I love when something is based in science, uh, you know, that was something that inspired me about the X-Files, was that, you know, the X-Files would take, you know, a little bit of real science, and then they would take this what-if approach. And, right. Uh, and that's sort of what I wanted to do with this film, and, and that's why we took the, the docu-thriller approach to it. No, and I definitely think that it totally, it does work for that. And I think, like, and especially now with all the things coming, you know, with, like, the space things we were talking about, like, people do want to learn more, and they want to learn it in an easy way that they, like, like this app. Like, let's talk about this app. When is that going to come out? So we have the, this amazing technology that we started. I did a graphic novel. Uh, I've written a, a number of books where they would be printed in print mediums, and I uh, I love doing graphic novels, but, but manufacturing and distributing and warehousing them, it just as a creator, is, is a very difficult job. And working with publishers, the whole book industry is changing right now, and everything is starting to go digital. So I created the first interactive graphic novel uh, in this book called Infects last year, and it's been doing very well for us. And we took that engine and that technology and decided to merge it with this movie. And since we've created so many hours of footage and explored all the conspiracy theories and had so many interviews with so many fascinating people who talked about the reality behind the film, and then we had all of the real footage from the the Phoenix Lights and some of the military footage that we had uh, acquired and some of the stuff that we made, and then uh, not only just the story itself, but the behind the scenes and and also the character stories. So we incorporated all of that into this app. And it's really the first interactive movie that's going to be coming out because it's not like a choose-your-own-adventure or something like that to affect. This is something where it's almost like an investigative tool where Mm -hmm. you can passively watch the film in its entirety the way it's going to come out in theaters, but every single scene is meta-tagged with not only the real information behind it as sort of articles and other information, but the audience becomes contributors to every single part of the film and allows them to grow the the story. They can contribute photographs and videos and commentary right. to the tracks. And uh, if you see one of the clips of the film and you're like, wow, is that real? And you touch on it, suddenly you get the actual real five-minute footage that it was taken from. So That's awesome. It, it's a really neat way to explore a movie um, that only you know a, a tablet or an Apple TV or an iPhone can do. Right. Because in a motion picture, you know, you sit back in the theater and you enjoy that experience. But you're seeing a new generation of people experiencing streaming. Everyone's watching things on Netflix or on iTunes. Right. They're using their phones to get information. So this film sort of takes all of that into account. And through this app, uh, it really allows the audience to become this investigator and experience the film, but then dive deeper into the investigation and really uh, make a decision for themselves. Do you think that you would make a film in this style again? I easily could. Uh, (laughs) uh, Once you make it, you realize that Mm -hmm. I'd love to explore like a television series in this. We've been looking at doing an idea where we explore other incidents, uh, especially the stuff that happened in Belgium and Roswell or in Russia. Amazing accounts that were maybe misconstrued as other disappearances or other types of cases that were actually tied to this UFO phenomenon. Um, But as a filmmaker, I probably won't explore this particular style. Uh, One of the reasons was just, you know, our budget uh, to do the the quality level and the amount of content we wanted to do, we could only do it at this low price point. Um, My next film, Frost Road, will be a a narrative. It will be eight to ten times the budget, and it will be much more as a traditional cinematic film. And, uh, and, and if you've seen my other work, uh, not just in games, but especially in graphic novels, um, the scope and the scale and the, the artistry of what we're trying to do is, is very, very beautiful and high-end. And, and, uh, and so I, 
I want to grow as a filmmaker and learn other styles and be able to evolve that storytelling into other things. I think it was appropriate for the budget and the audience of what we were right. trying to do with this film. But uh, for me, uh, it was a great experiment and it was a great, you know, it was great film school to learn how to do things. <laughs> and the audience is definitely resonating. It's winning lots of awards, which is great. It's done tremendously well on the festival circuit, uh, and it's done very well for us. But I do think that uh, as a filmmaker, I do want to you know, grow and experiment with, with other styles. Okay, great. And finally, um, you know, this movie does really make you think about who humanity is. So what do you, Keith, personally feel? What do you think it is? Is it alien? Is it terrorist? Is it climate change? Is it something completely different? I genuinely think that we're doing a disservice to our planet. I think that it's uh, it's not just pollution. It's not just war. I think that uh, we... Uh, as a as a culture, don't always respect the planet we come from, mm-hmm. and and I think that the biggest threat to our planet is ourselves. And, right. Uh, and that I think that you see all these things as a result of it. I think the terrorism and the climate change and everything is a, a result of that lack of respect. And I think that the the funny thing is is that if we did discover that there was life. Uh, outside of our planet, I think that would probably unify us a lot more. And a lot of these differences and problems that we have would probably be uh, much less significant because right, we're right. concentrating on a much greater goal. And, you know, you think about going to Mars and what we did with the, you know, going to the moon 40 years ago. I think those were things that really unified uh, our our world to look into uh, other possibilities than just, you know, bicker over you know, the price of, of gas and other things. Right. So I think that, um, that you know, we, we have the potential in ourselves to do something really special, and I think that if we can sort of learn to just get along, that a lot of these <laughs> things will probably go by the wayside. And, uh, and using entertainment as a way to kind of wake people up, hopefully, will, will be that, uh, that uh, inspiration for people. Awesome. Well, it's been so great talking to you. You know, congratulations on the movie, um, you know, and thanks so much for taking the time to talk to the High Regard Show. Thank you so much. All right. Have a great rest of your day. Goodbye. So we're back. Here we are. Glad to be here. <laughs> so, um, I want to start off by just going through a couple of the things that Keith Keith talked about. Um, you know, the first thing was he had mentioned that if we ever found like a race from from another world or whatever, uh, he feels that we would all start getting along better. Do you agree with that term? Yeah, yeah, he's, he, he said that. <laughs> right, but I'm saying, do you agree with that term? He did no. say that. <laughs> no, no, I don't, because I think that we're just, as a society, we're, just look at ho- how we are. Like, we're very confrontational. We're very, like, you know, I, I just think that, like, we would, not to give anything away from the movie, but, like, I just think that, like, we would attack first just to, you know, kill or be killed. Like, that's what we're always taught, and that's what... I think that we as a society is just like that's going to be very hard to change. There is definitely in the past have been comparisons between humans and disease. Whereas, you know, a disease's only job for the most part is just find a way to survive. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, if, if, if you get like a virus or a cold or something like that, whatever it is that's you know, inside of you is trying to attack your immune system or whatever it's built to attack inside of you at whatever cost. And it's constantly adapting and changing and, you know, doing whatever it has to survive. So, you know, for me, I get strep throat every year. Mm -hmm. I take amoxicillin for it every single year. And I feel like finding a way to become healthier after being on amoxicillin is taking a longer and longer amount of time right. as each year passes because the strep throat is finding a way to acclimate and change so that it can last longer. People are exactly the same way. If we get invaded by an alien race, our first thought's not going to be to say, well, what is this 
foreign body Why is it on here? our planet. What does it want? It's going to be survive. Like, that's all I'm here for is to survive, and I don't care about anything else. And, uh, you know, it makes us aggressive. Mm-hmm. That's okay. all you got for that? But yeah, I mean, I, I agree. <laughs> like, I totally agree with that. I don't think there's anything I need to add. Because, <laughs> like, you handle the science stuff. Like, I just... Yeah, but I'm just thinking, like, it's just so weird now that, like, you know, I feel like there's a lot of people who would feel that there is hope out there. That, like, some other race is going to, like, step in and change things for us for the better or for the worse. There's, like, no middle ground. But at the end of the day, it's not in our nature to allow anybody to step in. Right. We're, We're built to dominate. We are a disease. Which is why we've talked about in past shows, if we ever made it to another planet, we would completely fuck it up because like that's just now, what we do. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why, like, I completely agree when, like, at the end of our at the end of our interview, like, when I asked Keith, like, what do you think, you know, especially given that, like, you know, li- like we said, like, it seems every week there's, like, a new NASA discovery coming out. There's something from, you know, the European Space Agency. Like, we're doing so much in space and, like, I love it and I love watching the videos because, like, I think, like, NASA is just amazing. And I just, like, I mean, I've talked about this before that, like, I wanted to be, like, an astronaut when I was a kid. But, like, there's part of me that's, like, I don't think that we deserve to go anywhere but this planet because we really fucked up this planet. And, I agree with him when he said that, like, the biggest threat isn't ISIS, it isn't terrorists, it isn't, you know, aliens, it's ourselves. Yeah. Because, like, we're ruining this beautiful planet that we have. We do. We we have a very destructive nature. Yeah. And that's not going to change because somebody comes from someplace else. Because if they did, we would just rebel. Yeah, and, like, we would go there and then, like, try to take them over. It'd be just the same. It'd be history repeating itself just on a different planet. Yep. So, and, you know, maybe that's a testament to aliens. Because I do believe that there's definitely some kind of life out there. I think there is, too. And, like, you've always been, like, a long proponent for the fact that, like, there's alien life forces out there. Like, you've always believed that. And it's, like, something that, like, I'll think about for a second and then I'll be like, eh. But then, like, I see something that, like, raises my... Like, that piques my interest. Or I'm like, you know, I could believe that. And, like, I'm coming more around to the fact that, like, there is something out there. Like, it's not just us. Because we're horrible representations of... Of life. Of life. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're a horrible representation of that. Yeah. And it's and it's strange because if you think about, like, how vast the universe is and all the discoveries, like, you discussed with him about, like, you know we're now seeing the furthest point of the planet and we're seeing mega structures in space mm-hmm. and weird things like that. And it's kind of like, man, how narrow-minded are we and narcissistic to think that we're it? Like, it's horrible to think we're it. Right, yeah. That's a, oh, God, just imagine. Like, just imagine what they look at. Like, if they have, like, a television that they were like watching or something and it's like, this is what's happening on Earth right now. And it's like, look, just imagine what they're seeing. Well, yeah, it's a, it's probably a nightmare, or they can't understand what it is that they're seeing. And I get that, like, you know, our mentality is that we hunt for food or we hunt for sport, for the most part. Mm-hmm. And I think that because that's what we do, we automatically assume that's what an alien population would do. But maybe we don't see aliens because they're just smarter than we are, and they come here and they see us doing this crazy shit. They don't understand it, and they're like, I just don't want to be a part of it. <laughs> it's like Lucille Bluth, like, getting curly fries. I don't know what it is, and I am not going to eat it. Like, that's just what it is, you know? I do love a curly fry. <laughs> well, we all love a curly fly. But, you know, another thing about this movie is, and, and I mean, the pros of it are, is it is definitely an interesting story, and it's definitely a topic that is gripping because so many people were a part of it. Right, and and plus, like, just watching it, it's like you could totally imagine that this is what the government would do. Like, because you can't trust the government. Like, I really think that there's there's certain points where I'm like, we have to, like, respect the government. We have to abide by that. But then there's, like, just points where it's like, like, if NASA is so open with what they're doing and what they're seeing, but they're probably but only as they? open as they want us to be. Right. Exactly. So you can't fucking trust anyone. Trust no one, just like all those conspiracies say. But, you know, and that's the other thing, too. It's like, 
they could be feeding you just enough information to keep you off the trail of what's actually going on. And and I know that's very conspiracy sounding and stuff like that, but it's a good possibility they can do that. And I think like in today and like especially now more than ever, I think that they're going to want to keep people like out of the loop because there is so much information available. Like like Keith said, he made like nine like he said that there was so much more than he could fit into like this ninety minute movie. You know, he took like two he filmed like two extra hours that a footage that's going to be like interactively like Easter egged into well, the content of this. Well, that's another point that I wanted to bring up too. Um, you know, the movie itself, and this is the con part of it, and this is not me dissing the movie in any way, really, because I I did enjoy the movie. Mm-hmm. I, I like I like the idea of like you know extraterrestrials and stuff sure, like yeah. that. I like anything that pretty much has to do with it, but there is like a baseline. And along that baseline is pretty much every documentary. And they're all pretty much presented the same way and stuff like that. And I can't say that this one, you know, either spiked up or down based on that baseline. Right, okay. What I can say is that some of it was, you know, because they turned it into a, what would they call it, a, a docu-thriller. Yeah, is like what it's they based it it's it's based on real life events, on real events like these Phoenix lights that were seen in 1997. Right, but with you know, with events that with a, didn't necessarily yeah, happen. Yeah, with a fictional yeah, it's a fictionalized version of real life events. Right, but I feel like there was so much fact involved in the movie that they didn't necessarily mean they didn't need to mix in like this to make the story more interesting because the story was interesting Mm -hmm. as it was all on its own and then they kind of made it into a movie and it kind of confuses you as to whether or not like like what's real did it really happen because maybe it doesn't seem as real now because there's no way there's a guy you know running around with cameras and stuff necessarily right like that helmet guy like if he was one of my friends like i would totally have like kicked his ass because took his helmet wore it yourself you'd be like screw this i want the helmet He was, like, the only, like, smart one because he had, like, a helmet on. Because you should always wear a helmet, people. Especially in the middle of an alien invasion. Yeah, especially <laughs> when you find yourself in an alien fight. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I, that's the thing. And, like, but after talking to him, yes, you realize that if you're interactively watching this, say, on Apple TV, on your tablet, you know, you're able to say, you can, you're, like, did this really happen and you're able to find out like at that exact moment like the real story behind because so much of what the fiction like so much of the fictionalized stuff was informed by what these thousand witnesses that they talked to and like these were people these weren't just like you know crazy people that lived up in like the hills that saw these things he talked to politicians um you know, military people and stuff like that. So, like, there were bits of real things, and you're going to be able to see what's real and what's fake. Right. And I think that that's the cool part about this movie, is that it's not just a movie. Movies are a form of entertainment that have been around for so long now. And, you know, it's like we were talking about before the show. We were talking about Avatar. Mm -hmm. And we were saying how, like, you know... The movie Avatar itself has been done a million times. Right. It's a love story. It's a military story. It's a story what we just talked about. Right. Like us ruining something. Yeah. And then it's like going, oh, and here's this happy ending that comes along at the end. Which is why when they say we're going to make Avatar 2, it's like, great. We know how this is going to end again. Like we just know. If it's a trilogy, they're going to lose this time. They're going to win next time. Mm Mm-hmm. So the movie experience has all has been just the same and stagnant. And this is, you know, a movie that's made that has become, you know, more interactive. Like mm-hmm. there are a lot more elements where, you know, I mean, just looking at the stuff that he's done in the past with like interactive books and stuff like mm-hmm. that. I mean, people can get involved more. And I think that. He's going in a great direction as far as shaping what movies can become. Right. It's like because he has a background. He has a very lengthy and impressive background in the gaming industry, which has informed 
him because one thing that like you know i've been covering a lot more gaming stuff you know recently than i have like ever in my career and one thing it's like we're like it's like the same games keep coming up over and over and over and it's like oh my god like as an outsider who's like you know we've talked about video games like a couple weeks ago and it was like as somebody who you know their favorite game is super mario brothers from like 1985 <laughs> like what the hell do i know and it's like why are we still talking about this game but like it's because the gaming industry knows that like they want to be involved more like they're playing this game because they love these characters they love these worlds that they live in so like they're releasing packs of like here's something about this character here's a, like a 10 minute storyline about this main character in this movie and he approached movie making the way that like the gaming industry approaches games where like it's not just a stagnant thing like you buy this game you play it you put it away when you beat it or if you can't beat it like you're gonna constantly keep going back to this game because there's new things coming out that keep it alive in your eyes it's not just like a disc anymore that just gets put on a shelf to collect dust which is what a movie was. Right. And I think that most people are done with the mindlessness. We've become too restless. And we've, you know, we talked about this a lot, like, especially with, you know, your change in career, like over the past year or so, mm -hmm. where it's like people aren't necessarily reading 10, 20,000 word essays. <laughs> They're reading, you know, 140 to 280 characters. And that's where they want to get their right. news from because their brain is constantly going. Manja, 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 manja. Give me more, manja, feed manja. me, feed me. <laughs> but I mean, you know, with a situation like this where, you know, you could sit down and watch a movie and then be like, oh, I can interact with other people and I can learn more about like a specific topic because it is constantly growing. And if I watch this movie on my tablet, I can go and research it and there could be new information based on what I had just seen. And tomorrow it might change again because right. more people are going to be interacting with it. So right. it's constantly evolving. And that's kind of brilliant on his part to like put it out to the people to keep, you know, this story. That, Growing. Yeah. Because sometimes you see these movies like just they come out and then that's it. And it's like, it's, it's, a, it's like a built-in marketing branding thing. Yeah. And... Imagine if they were able to do this with other movies. And I feel like this is the direction of movies. Mm -hmm. And maybe, you know, game companies need to get more involved in the movie making process because they have mastered how to get people to interact with their products. Right. Where movie companies haven't. So I mean there might you know we love Xanadu. We <laughs> love Xanadu. We do. But the only problem is is we've seen Xanadu like twenty times. At least. At least. Well, there was like a time where we were watching it almost every night almost, for a month. Yeah, so. <laughs> it, was, it was a bit much. So, I mean, you know, just knowing that alone, at some point it's kind of like, all right, even though I love this movie, I'm burnt out on this right. movie. And we do it with TV shows and stuff like that, too. If we can find a way to make this experience change every time we watch it, it could really change the way we, you know, entertainment industry right. is run. So I, it's great to see that we got an interview with a guy like this. Yeah, I think it's really cool, and it's and you know, and he calls it like transmedia because it just, like, it just goes into so many different things. It's like a website. It's an app. Like, I mean, I think it's really cool that this like app is gonna come out. Oh yeah, I mean that's a, a amazing opportunity to see like this whole genre just grow. Mm -hmm. Which has been, like I said, stagnant forever. There's been no growth in like the movie industry outside of when Avatar came out, the technology behind that movie, which is the only thing that really made that movie stand out was the fact that it was in 3D, unlike we've never seen before. Right, and then, and then again it came out, and then like so many other movies came out, and then it just flooded the market with like, like not everything needs to be 3D, you know what I mean? Oh my God. 3D TVs, like <laughs> everything was 3D, and you really thought that was going to be it. But I think what the problem was with the, the 3D um, market was that it didn't change anything about movies outside of the way they looked. Right. 
So it's kind of like going from black and white to color. It's very, very cool. But at the end of the day, it's gimmicky. Like, you didn't really change the experience. You just changed the way we view it. Right. And, like, it just, it's not something that's going to stay with us. Like, when we leave and, like, we're just going to leave the theater and then that's it. Like, we might talk about it or maybe post about it on social media or something. But, like, it's not something that, like, we're involved with beyond that. And that's something that always kind of pissed me off, too. Like, as a journalist, writing about movies and stuff like that, like, I always found that, like, websites for movies were just, like, so stagnant and, like, almost uninformative, you know? And this is such a cool way to be able to just, like hey man like here's some more stuff about what we're doing and everything because like once a movie comes out it's like that's it it's done well yeah like a a movie website is usually just a toss away for Mm -hmm. the most part like it the website comes out it supports the movie and then it's over with there's really not a lot of interactivity that goes into it you know like um like the x-men or something like that where you have 97 movies that come out and then like it'll get refreshed every time like yeah, you know, something like that. But I think, yeah. The majority of movies, though, aren't like that yeah, so no. much. And, I mean, there's no reason why they couldn't be more interactive and, you know, people getting involved with them. I mean, I feel like after listening to, you know, the interview, I feel I'm, – I'm like, how come more people aren't, aren't doing this? developing, yeah. you know, interactive experiences rather than, you know, just showing a different way of viewing it? Like the virtual reality glasses – Man, there's been so much news on like the VR glasses lately and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Especially because we get like a lot of press releases from like, you know, the porn industry. We get a lot. <laughs> we, do. we do. And and you know, as we have all learned from Tropic Thunder, if the porn industry picks up on something, it's gonna take off. It's <laughs> it's just how it works because of the amount of money backing that industry. Right. And I feel like at least three times a week, there is a press release about a virtual reality porn in development. And, you know, it's good and it's and it's incredible that, you know, they found a new way to present material. Because, yeah, like they are constantly just taking the new technology and making it work for them. But is it is it really changing the experience? Or is it just changing the way that you view it? It's like you went from... Black and white to color, from color to 3D, from 3D now to virtual reality. But at the end of the day, it's still the same movie. If you see the same movie in any of those formats, you know, more than 10 times, you're not going to care about it as much after the 10th time. True. Whereas if you see a movie that's, you know, tied into an app that people are constantly updating, that's an actual change in the, your perception of what that movie is. Right, yeah. So, I mean, I think it's very, very cool that we got to see it. And I feel like that's the strongest part of this particular film is that it's a, it's a great story. Mm-hmm, it definitely is. But it also allows people to be a part of it where other movies, not as much. Right. And, and there's such opportunity. There is opportunity. And I think this guy is like, I definitely think like it's it's a it's a game changer for, you know, what the industry can do. Hey, Tom, what's that smell? Is it Taco Bell? No, I think it's the smell of a did you know? <laughs> did you smell a did you know? <laughs> oh, my God. You know, I think that would be like the one thing that if people started making like interactive movies down the road. It would just be like awesome to just be in the rock shoes. I would, yeah. Because he always does those action packed movies where it's just like. Or just like standing next to him. Wouldn't you want to just put on virtual reality glasses and just look at your muscles like all the time? No, I'd rather like just look at them (laughs) (laughs) from like in front of them. But that's just me. At least we know what you're doing with your virtual reality glasses. <laughs> <laughs> the porn business just took a spike. Like they are like the numbers on the Nasdaq are shooting through the roof right now because The Rock know. signed up for his first virtual reality porno. <laughs> if he did, man, my God, he would be a jack of all trades, that's for sure. <laughs> man, oh man. Um, you know, and that, that's the other thing I wanted to ju- just touch on really quick before we do go into the did you know? Is Hardcore Henry. Yeah. You know, and, and and I'm only trying to tie that in because I feel like it is also another 
way of seeing a movie that we have not been able to see before. And it's done in a first-person shooter kind of way, which is another way that the gaming industry is informing movies. Yeah, because it's crazy. they're seeing like, you know, because I mean, movies have definitely taken a hit. Absolutely. You know, and but gaming has boomed because it's constantly evolving. And I just and I know that I'm not going to definitely not going to be able to see Hardcore Henry. Like I watched the trailer which was hilarious. Like find the tr- find the PSA about texting during movies and not only follow what they say but like find it and i mean i get so nauseous watching that and like so there's no way i'm going to be able to see that movie i don't know i think we're going to have to see it no matter what you just have to close your eyes when it gets a <laughs> i'll little take a drama crazy man. yeah definitely maybe we're on a boat ride or something oh no <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah and you know in game industry man just in general like i feel like they've tried to turn so many video games into movies that just did not work. It's right, kind of like yeah. a DC universe. It's kind of like, just stop making <laughs> movies, man. Christian Bale left Batman. It's over, Johnny. Like, let yeah. it go. Yeah. But Ben Affleck is not greater than Christian Bale. Never. But what the gaming industry missed out on was instead of trying to turn video games into movies, their success was the interactivity part. Now they're finally getting it. Mm-hmm. It's not so much that somebody plays a video game and is like, oh, my God, this is the greatest game, and I beat it, and I'm going to play it, like, 15 more times. It's that there's patches, and it's like, it's going to be different each time I play it right, if I yeah. download a patch. Yeah. Eventually, if this is the way it keeps going, and you can, like, be in an interactive movie, and they find a way to expand on it through apps and through websites and stuff like that, it's going to be revolutionary. I agree. Now let's go into a Did You Know. Did you know? This week's Did You Know is talking about the difference between based on a true story and based on actual events. True? What's the difference? Well, here it is. In a nutshell, um, there is no difference between the, tr- the between the two. But after watching last night's movie... The Phoenix Incident. Mm-hmm. Which is based on the Phoenix Lights. Yes, which is based on a true story. Which is the true story. The Phoenix Lights which is, is the a true, true story. story. <laughs> but the movie starts off and it says based on actual events. That's how the movie starts. Right, because like, it right is. Right in the beginning. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, well, where is the line drawn between the true events and the fake events? I feel like in this movie we could kind of tell like what the fake events were. Right. Because, you know, without giving anything away, there are incidents where you're like going, there's no way you can know that much detail about these certain things. But there are other parts where it's like, oh, man, that's like definitely factual because this is, you know, file footage from people and stuff. So in doing the research, based on actual events and based on true story are just disclaimers for the movie industry. Because in the past, people have done movies and they have used actual people's names in their stories just to later on find out that they were being sued because the people didn't like the way they were portrayed in a movie. Mm, everybody's so sue happy. Well, that's our society, man. If we're not, like, destroying something, we're, we're trying just... to take stuff away from someone else. That's pretty much, like, all we do. It's so just... imagine how dangerous it is when you have both traits. Yeah, we just take or destroy. So, you know... I. The true story and, you know, actual events thing isn't so much to let you know, like, hey, everybody, listen up, because this is like a true tale. Because you originally thought that they did that as a marketing ploy, correct? I did think they do that yeah. as a marketing ploy. I didn't realize that like, it was illegal. Like, ooh, this illegal. is true. This could really happen. Let's go see this movie. Right. Yeah. But they can say, like, you know, the real the real aspect of it is not so much that this is based on true events, it's that people don't want to get sued. Sure. So that is this week's very convoluted. <laughs> it was <laughs> very I... informative, though. It was. <laughs> that was pretty good, right? Yeah, it was, it was good. Uh, good but, I mean, it totally went with what we got going on. It did, Tom. Very good. Yeah, well, well, very good, did you know? Well, okay. Well, that was this week's Did You Know, then. Let's wrap it up before we fuck it up. Did you know? Okay, so 
If you want to learn more um, information about the Phoenix Incident and Keith Aram, you can go to phoenixincident.com, um, you know, and learn more. The show, uh, the movie will is going to open up in select theaters on Friday, April 8th, and it'll also be available on iTunes and VOD. Yes, and if you'd like to learn more about the High Regard Show, check out highregardshow.com. And if you'd like to interact with us, please feel free to write to our email at highregardshow at gmail.com. And interact with us on all social media outlets as High Regard Show. Drop Yay! us a line. That's right. Thank you so much again for listening, everybody. Bye-bye. But the film is a sad thing for But she's lived it ten times or more She could spit in the eyes of fools If they ask her to focus on UFOlogist. <laughs>